Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor, and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Welcome to Sex and Science Hour. And uh, I'm sorry, the intro is not accurate for this week because Brian isn't here. The the girls or the girl in the NB have taken over the show. <laughs> We've got... <laughs> Producer MK with us this week. Hi, MK. Thank, hey, welcome so back to Sex and Science Hour. Thank you. I'm super excited to be back on my favorite podcast. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> we did one show together before, and it was a very popular show. So I'm super excited to have you back. And I guess we're just going to get right into it. Um, yeah. We've got a lot of right stories in. to talk about. So, okay, we have an update. Last week, we talked about the guy I like to affectionately call Rocket Man, but I don't even know if he like deserves such a title. Um, <laughs> this was a person who was a proponent of the flat earth theory, if you could even call it a theory, um, <laughs> the idea that the earth is flat and wanted to launch a homemade rocket over a desert town to investigate it for himself and to promote the idea and to encourage other people to question everything about what you've been told about the shape of the earth. Um, so there's an update. Uh, he was told that he can't actually launch his homemade rocket ship, even if he could raise the money to fund it. <laughs> um, because I guess some, somebody determined that was, uh, that was too dangerous. This is from Gizmodo filed under the damn you Bureau of Land Management. <laughs> <laughs> A uh, 61-year-old stuntman and amateur flat earth theory researcher, Mad Mike Hughes, who planned to launch himself 1,800 feet up at 500 miles an hour in an untested homemade steam-powered <laughs> rocket over the Mojave Desert ghost town of Amboy, California on Saturday in some sort of gambit to prove the earth is flat, spoiler, it's not, will not be doing any of that this weekend. Instead, Hughes told the Washington Post, Big Daddy government has thrown some obstacles in his way. <laughs> per the Post, the Bureau of Land Management has confirmed that it had no record of giving Hughes, quote, verbal permission to hold the rocket launch on public lands, as he had previously claimed. It just keeps getting better, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, my God. Meaning that the rocketeer has decided to delay the launch date and move the location, quote, three miles down the road. So he's not deterred. He's going to try again. <laughs> um, what do you think about this, MK? Are you ready to launch yourself in a homemade rocket? Oh, man. You do know you what? The, do you believe the uh, the propaganda that says the Earth is a sphere? Well, as a skeptic and a death positivist, I think 
this big daddy government stopping this man from killing himself is morally wrong. It's objectionable. (laughs) He has every right to make stupid decisions on any type of land, public or private, and deal with the fallout of those decisions. No, clearly this is a terrible idea, right? Yeah. <laughs> like this guy, like I feel, you know, I feel so bad for people who use YouTube to educate themselves on science and I, d- I do too. Geology I mean, like and honestly, physics and I, like this is, this is bad. This is sad. And it's also hilarious. It is. That's why it's so interesting to talk about because it is like tragic, but also really funny at the same time. Like, normally, I would totally be a proponent of what you said at the beginning and kind of like half joking of like, you know, big daddy government is really like fucking things up by interfering here. Like they have no right to tell this guy what he can and can't do. I'm usually against you know, the idea of government like supposedly saving people from their own stupidity because I I mean, I really believe deep down that people are the best ones to manage their own lives and make decisions for themselves. But then every once in a while, you come across a story like this. And it's like, okay, I mean, <laughs> this is why the government exists. Because people do shit like this. <laughs> I like, Thanks, I kind of hate to say that. But like, it's kind of true. Like, they are kind of saving him from himself. Now, like, if you really wanted to go out with a bang, like, I, this is kind of morbid. But like, if you I don't know, maybe you had a terminal illness or something like launching yourself in a homemade rocket over a ghost town. I mean, hey, it's not hurting anybody else, right? Like, you gotta move to Oregon like- to do that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because assisted suicide is, like, oh my god. I mean, it's kind of a grand way to go out, but I don't think that was his intention. I think he actually thought he might come back down. So I, I think if you're that? if you're not a rocket scientist, making rockets is in your like shed in your backyard or whatever. Wherever this guy made them is probably not the best. Thing yeah. to do ever. Leave it to the pros. Leave it to the yeah. pros. What if he was actually outsmarting them all and he's he's actually like one step ahead of Big Daddy government and his whole motive in the first place was just to get do crazy shit or, or say he was going to do crazy shit just to get the press attention to get the coverage on the idea that maybe the earth is flat and get more publicity for that idea than anyone had ever gotten before. That would be a good growth hacking stunt. Yeah. Like that that's one of those or not not even growth hacking it's but basically attention getting making something. I mean his I've seen this story everywhere. It's yeah, I've seen it everywhere viral, too. So. And obviously it's going to get some people to do their own research so-called into the flat earth theory. So I, I'm actually, you know, I'm leaning towards that theory that Mad Mike is actually smarter than everybody thinks. Who's playing who? Yeah. Who's playing who? Exactly. (laughs) Now, speaking of getting played, you and I both read this article recently and it was fascinating and we talked about it for a long time. Um, Basically, it's about, it's a long article, so we'll give a summary instead of actually sort of reading the experts. That's, or excerpts. That's more interesting anyway. But, um, this was originally published in Deadspin by Lindsay Adler. And the headline is Teen Girl Posed for Eight Years as Married Man to Write About Baseball and Harass Women. So what happened was there was a girl, Becca Schultz. She was 13 years old when she knew that she wanted to start a career writing about baseball. And 
that was a problem because she already knew at the ripe young age of 13 that she wasn't going to get taken seriously as a 13-year-old girl writing about sports. Unfortunate, but probably true, right? Um, so what she did was create this fake persona. And instead of Becca, she became Ryan Schultz, a fictitious person who was ostensibly like a 21-year-old um, pharmacy school student who lived somewhere in the Midwest and was actually married and had a wife and, you know, maybe like a baby on the way even. And she began writing about baseball and it worked. She became more popular as Ryan Schultz than she ever dreamed that she could. But along with that fake persona, things started to get a little bit blurry because she started behaving in some very unusual ways online. She created a Twitter account and Ryan was very active at tweeting. Um, pretty soon, women started to approach him and be interested in him. And some women even sent Ryan some nudes. And Becca, as Ryan, carried on almost like full out online relationships with some of these women. And not only that, but like she played them, she really played them. She was saying like, you know, they were asking to meet up and she would say like, oh yeah. And then, you know, some excuse would happen. Like she would be sick, Ryan would be sick or like his wife found out or something like that. Or, you know, there was always some excuse like there always is with catfishing, right? Like this is yeah. the oldest trick in the book, but. This is elaborate though. This went on for eight very, years. Eight years. And yeah, it kept touched. getting more elaborate. I mean, it's just wild, the level of commitment to this character, basically. Yeah, I mean, she really did. She played this game for eight years until she was 21 years old. This is a project that she started when she was 13. And she kept it going and kept writing about baseball. Meanwhile, Ryan got pretty popular as a sports writer, and he had a lot of fans, and as such was attracting attention. But then it started to take sort of a dark turn, I think a little bit later on in the story, where like she was inventing these stories that she was telling to the women about, um, you know, different stuff and also kind of like harassing women on Twitter and, um, you know, claiming that as Ryan claiming all these things about how women had like abused her and mistreated her and how she was really the victim and blah, blah, blah. And it got really dark and she would tweet all these weird um, borderline, like, just these weird tweets, like ostensibly as Ryan, she would say like she had crippling self doubt. And that's why she hadn't come out with an article in a while. And like would harass women and would get like horny and like say he, he was drunk. I don't even know what pronouns to use at this point. But like Becca as Ryan was doing all these things and was actually acting quite like a lot of real men do. And I think that's part of what made her so believable as the character. And she even said at a certain point, she felt like she melded together with this character so much that she couldn't tell like, what was like, where she ended and Ryan began. Mm -hmm. And it got like, I mean, that's really scary. Like that is getting deep, deep, deep into character. And so I guess now she's finally out. Uh, you know, now that she's in her 20s, and she, she wrote so much. And, and after this article is published, I don't know how she could continue to write as Ryan. But um, man, uh, have you ever had an experience like this? Have you ever posed as a man online or thought of it? 
uh, posing as a man. Uh, actually, one more thing before you answer that. It makes me think of the story where there were two women that founded a, a company and they were trying to get venture yep. capital funding and they couldn't get emails returned and they couldn't get meetings set up with, with venture capitalists because nobody would invest in their company or take them seriously. So they invented a fake co-founder named Keith Manley. Yes. Like how funny is that? That story. name is so funny. Mm-hmm. And uh, their business was really cool. It was like, it was like, wasn't it like kind of like an Etsy platform, but like for like goth stuff or witchy stuff, like pagan stuff or something like that? Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. It was a cool idea, um, but they couldn't get emails returned until Keith, the fake co-founder, started emailing VCs, and they returned his emails like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yeah. It just shows like how differently people are perceived based on their gender and, and something as simple as the name on an email. Like when we don't have an actual person to go on to judge somebody and stereotype them by, when we don't, we don't have a person that we're looking at right in front of us. We use other things to stereotype people we communicate with online. Mm-hmm. And it can be so, such a big difference. Just something like changing the name on, on an email. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's, there's other studies too about, um, I'll, I'll shut up in a minute. Sorry, I'm kidding. I know you have something you want to say, but, um, like there's studies too about how people write emails to women versus how they write them to men. And the tone is completely different. They're often like ordering the women around and things like that. And just not as, not as nice to them. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I don't know. Go ahead with your thoughts. Yeah, so this is such an interesting – the article is a really good read because it's so elaborate. Uh, she really did get lost in the character, and you kind of hear this. We'll put a link to the article in the show notes, by the way, if you want to check it out. I would totally recommend. It's an awesome read. Yeah, yeah, and she really got lost in the character, and you hear about this happening to actors when they're doing things like method acting, for mm-hmm. example. They get so lost in the character. Like, you can read so many stories about Daniel Day-Lewis being a complete asshole to people on set because he's so devoted to the character and that's somewhat kind of what happened here um but as far as the gender stuff clearly we don't live in a post-gender world no you are treated differently as a woman and so i used to do a lot of writing i mean i go by mk which is a gender neutral name and if people don't know that there's a gender attached to it the default assumption they make is that um i'm a man And I had this experience when I was writing earlier on, I was writing more political stuff and I didn't have an avatar attached to my name and people assumed I was a man. So they would speak to me very differently than when they finally found out that I have a feminine presentation Mm -hmm. and it switched from being, um, from assuming that I knew what I was talking about and engaging me on a more philosophical level and a more direct level to assuming I didn't know what I was talking about and that I was, whatever arguments I was making or whatever I was doing was being influenced by my perceived gender and things like that. People have been very condescending to me when they found out that I was a woman. And I've experienced this online a lot. I mean, I've been online since my, like... Oh, yeah. And and how early, much... Early, early. Even before I was a teenager, I mean, I was online. And when you experience this, I could imagine, like, when you experience that much harassment and when you realize how differently you're treated assuming that male character could almost be like an excuse to blow off steam or like be an asshole almost, you know, by acting that way. Yeah, yeah, it it could be. And I have thought about doing this before. And I have thought about and I have friends, I just did a podcast with James Weeks in Iconosass. And he had an experience 
creating a female avatar and just the messages he would get from people and the way people would engage him was totally different. Wow. Yeah. And everyone should definitely go check out your podcast. It's called Icono Sass. What a great name, right? Oh, thank you. <laughs> Where can you. they find that, MK? Uh, they can find it on patreon.com uh, slash Lords. You can also find it on SoundCloud. SoundCloud. <laughs> SoundCloud. We're gonna edit that out. You can also <laughs> find it on SoundCloud uh, if you just look up Iconosass or MK Lords. Cool. It's all on there. And well, I recommend people check it out. But just can you give a little summary of how James, your the guy that you interviewed, your friend was was treated differently when he presented as a woman online? It's a fascinating experiment, you know. Yeah, like, I recommend everybody do that at least once, just because. Do some gender bending, and yeah, to get a better bending. understanding of what people who have a different gender than you go through. Yeah, I really think this is valuable for everyone to do because if you're making these arguments about what type of world we live in, whether it's a post-gender world, whether we need certain philosophies like feminism or whether gender norms are harmful to people. If you're, if you haven't experienced the other side, if you haven't made any attempt to look at different viewpoints and really experience it for yourself, then you don't really have a lot to go off of. You, you're just kind of assuming things and you're just kind of going off of your feelings and your opinions rather than what reality has shown you. So my friend James did this experiment where he created a female avatar and the picture he used was just like a standard, like kind of selfie picture of an attractive woman. And he got a lot of kind of creepy comments. Uh, people would condescend to him a lot. The term mansplaining, which is when a man explains something to someone, usually a woman who is more knowledgeable than him yeah. on the subject, but treats her as if she isn't. And for people proof. who don't know the the origin of the term mansplaining, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain it to you. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it comes from a something that happened to an author, a female author wrote a book about something and she was at a conference and a man started explaining her own book to her, not knowing that she was actually the one who wrote this book. And she had to tell him she was the author of the book several times before it <laughs> sunk in because he wasn't even listening to her. He wasn't actively listening to her. He was passively listening to her. So he, and he was really just thinking about what he was going to say next, basically, which is a really common thing. I've, oh, everybody I've, does that. Yeah. I mean, I've been speaking to men about a topic and I can, like see their eyes just glaze over after, you know, a few seconds of talking. And they've even done studies on this where if you have, for example, if it comes to a podcast or a radio show or something, different amounts of airtime based on gender, usually men are speaking a lot more. But if a woman is a guest or a host on it, the audience perceives that she is speaking more than him when usually she's speaking, uh, you know, about – something like 70% less uh, than yeah, him. It's right. a huge gulf. Like it's, and it, this isn't something that is really, again, you either live in reality or you don't. Like this is not a debatable thing. This is not something that like you can just be like, well, I think, or what about? Like, no, this is like we have data to kind no, of No, yeah, this is this. objective data. And it's not just on a radio show or something like that. Although that makes a good um, test case because you can, record, you know, like you can record it and play it back later and count the number of words and such. But there's study after study on college campuses about women and men speaking in classrooms, mm -hmm. and where women are always perceived to have spoken 
more than half the time, even though they actually speak less than half the number of words or the, it doesn't matter if you count words or count time, they're Mm -hmm. speaking less, they're perceived to be doing all the talking and oh, blah, 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 she won't shut up. And I've tested this with, with, male friends of mine before i've set timers on them before oh my <laughs> to gosh prove you're it, a little to prove it of course of course and so it is really interesting all this gender stuff and i've changed the way that i address people in email based on research in that field for example you're less likely to get a response from someone if you and, and the way women tend to write in emails is more of a passive kind of voice and it's seen as a less powerful thing. You, they use the terms I a lot more. They'd use like pleases and it's more Smiley of like faces. Sm- emoticons, <laughs> which there's nothing wrong with that, but um, it's harder to get a response. Whereas I, I've changed my writing style. I cut out a lot of verbiage now and I just do use shorter different sentences. And I prefer using mm. email addresses with no avatar. Yeah. And so I just go by MK and there's no kind of assumption. Well, again, there shouldn't be an assumption of gender. But if you go by gender-neutral terms, the assumption is that you're a man. And it's a totally different experience. Oh, I mean, that's why so many authors, uh, especially in stereotypically masculine genres like, you know, suspense or like thrillers or whatever – there's so many authors that are are female, but they go by just their first couple initials so that they're perceived as a man and they have more book sales that way and more success. Like Joanna Penn is a very um, successful author. She's got a podcast and uh, it's a podcast all about book marketing and stuff like that. But um, she J.K. Writes- Rowling is uh, J.K. Rowling. Yeah. Did, did she always go by J.K.? Did she pick that pen name to be more neutral? Is she so successful partly because she chose that pen name? Yeah, right. I know. So, I mean, I don't think you're wrong or uh, I don't think it's, I would never critique you for going by MK, you know, just and trying to present as gender neutral online. But like, should you have to do that? I feel like part of part of me is saying, why should I have to like go to all this trouble to try to present myself as gender neutral online? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, like women do experience a lot of harassment online. And also not just harassment, but like condescension and not being taken seriously, not being considered worthy or listened to not getting responses. So, ah, man, it's almost in a way it's I part of me feels like, why should I have to do something like that? But the other part of me feels like it's a fascinating science experiment. And you can learn a lot from observing how differently you're treated. And it's way easier to present as a different gender online than it is in person. (laughs) So why not try it that way? Yeah. And for thought and the this poor girl, you can just see how much she had internalized misogyny and internalized all of these cultural norms because she felt that she had to emulate a man to be successful in that field. Yeah, that's right. And then the the, the personality of the man, the character that she created, um, was not exactly a feminist man. No, he <laughs> and was the way terrible. that he interacted with real women. <laughs> I mean, you read the article; it's it's outrageous. So she was not very nice as. Uh, what was it, Ryan? Ryan, yeah. She was, she was not nice at all. And it's it's sad. But, you know, maybe she has a good ghostwriting career ahead of her. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right, this is Sex and Science Hour. There's more gender-bending stuff coming up. Eggs choose sperm. Ooh, you won't want to miss this. Stay tuned. This 
This is Sex and Science Hour. Welcome back to the show. So, MK, I wanted to jump into the topics that I thought you would enjoy. And I know you read this article and you thought it was hilarious or liked it or both. So, this is from Quantum Magazine by Carrie Arnold. She says, choosy eggs may pick sperm for their genes, defying Mendel's law or Mendel's law. Uh, the oldest law of genetics says that gametes combine randomly, but experiments hint that sometimes eggs select sperm actively for their genetic assets. Mm. Now, I just thought this was really interesting because it does fall under basic biology, but every so often a new scientific finding comes out that just flips everything we think we know about biology on its head, you know? And I don't know about you, but from the time that I was a kid in science class, I always learned, oh, well, you know, basically what happens when this, by the way, content warning, this is about the birds and the bees and not that your kids should be listening to this show anyway, but... (laughs) What I always learned was that, you know, uh, when a man and woman love each other very much, they get very close. Yeah, MK's doing a little pokey poke through the hole. Uh, <laughs> uh, when, you know, when someone, when conception is happening, basically, there's a million sperm or mo- millions of sperm, tons of sperm to one egg, and all those sperm are competing. They're going to beat out the other sperm to get to that egg first. And whoever gets there first is the strongest and the best swimmer. It has to go through these Olympic feats of going through the fallopian tubes and the vagina and all this acidic environment. And it's all like a race to the top and a big competition. And only the best sperm, the strongest swimmer, the most manly of those little guys is going to make it to the egg. And once he makes it to the egg, he valiantly penetrates her folds and he shoots his DNA right into her center. And then she forms a hard, impenetrable shell, beating out any beta cuck competitors from getting in there. No beta cuck sperm for that egg. No way. She's she's monogamous. She's chosen one man and no other man can get through. Only the most valiant, the most penetrating, the most forceful shooter of its genetic load (laughs) into the shell of that egg. Oh, yes. (laughs) I mean, it's described like a fucking porno that's totally from a man's perspective, right? It's so like, there's so many like competition and like military metaphors that are used to describe this like march of sperm across the enemy lines and like only the best survive. And I mean, you get the idea, but I mean, it's just amazing the way that the description of this basic biology, and if you don't believe me, like, just pick up a biology textbook. It is often described just like that, in fact. It's a little unnecessary, like, the way, I, I've read stuff like that, too, before, it's just like, this, this, this seems like there's something else weird going on here, I mean, right. you know, whatever. Like, the author judge, is but. anthropomorphizing those sperms so hard, and it's like, almost the way they describe it is like, recapitulating the act of sex, right? It's like a little microcosm of actually like a man like shooting his load in a woman, you know? <laughs> and so it, I, I, I don't have much to say about this. I'm, I can't say I'm surprised that it tends to be described that way when it may not reflect the actual reality of what actually happens in nature. I can't say I'm surprised about that, but I think that everybody who's listening 
would be very well served to just go about reading about any scientific discipline, even the the so-called hard sciences, you know, like math and economics. And uh, well, I don't know, some people don't think economics is a hard science, but even the so-called hard science of biology, physics, and see if you can pick out the ways in which it might be actually biased by the person who's writing that story. Because yeah. so often there's, there is so much bias, even in the so-called hard sciences. You know, there's other ways to look at things that, that are going on, especially when they're describing things in nature, when they're describing animals. I can't tell you how many times I've read about animals and they say that there's this they almost describe the animals as being married to each other. They're like, oh, this is this monogamous pair bond that happens for life. And yeah, like there was that movie March of the Penguins and <laughs> they were describing this almost like marriage of the penguins. But in reality, like penguins don't mate for life. They they stay together. Yes, they pair bond, but they only stay together for really as long as it takes for the, the chick to reach adulthood or to leave the nest or whatever. And then they split up. So, I mean, humans anthropomorphize animals. They anthropomorphize everything. And it doesn't take much for somebody to project their own bias and their own notions of gender onto literally any anything. <laughs> right, right, right. No, that, that's totally true. And I read this article, I found out it was fascinating. And I think somewhere in the article, correct me if I'm wrong, I because I'm kind of going off of mem- memory here, but was it saying that the eggs like set up traps for the sperm and stuff? Like it, it's extremely difficult yeah. to be fertilized. And they like, make it's those part of a guys- selection process that the egg has all of these defense mechanisms in place. And if you think uh, about sperm it, sperm is abundant and low value. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Another microcosm. I, I'm, I'm disappointed that the article of this, though, isn't Choosy Eggs, Choose Jizz. <laughs> That's the title of the show right there. <laughs> choosy Eggs, Choose Jizz. <laughs> Which isn't quite as accurate, but I just couldn't resist the pun. I'm sorry. That was terrible. That was no, a terrible it was thing great. to do. No, but it, it starts apologize. with Choosy Eggs, and then it's like this long, boring title. I'm just saying, like, yeah. it could have been a snappier title there. No, I mean, it really, it, it makes <laughs> a lot terrible. of sense. It makes a ton of sense from a biological perspective that the sperm should have to jump through a lot of hoops to be, yeah. to get to that egg and to be the one that fertilizes it because that is a special honor. And yeah, they're not all worthy of that, uh, of that honor. Not all sperm are created equal. That's true. That's yeah. true. Um, and apparently not all eggs either. Um, so this is, uh, I don't know, it, it is really interesting. It kind of reverses a lot of what we assumed happens in, in reproduction. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. And it's important to stay up to date with this stuff because when the science changes, it, it affects so many other cultural norms and social norms. Absolutely. So I mean, and cultural norms affect science. That's right. That's right. They they are interrelated, and to try to separate the two from each other really can't be done. And we have hundreds of years, longer than that, of history 
and that's of, of historical cultural norms that have been influencing science in some kind of way. And a lot of the science that we kind of have that was seen as set in stone, we're finding out is wrong, just completely wrong. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. they didn't even really study it. I think it even mentions this in the article, like not much is known about women's reproduction because it wasn't right. studied throughout right. most it history because people didn't give a shit about it. Either they didn't give a shit or it was actively suppressed, the yeah. research. Now, this is my conspiracy theory, but it's not really a conspiracy theory. I mean, it's historical fact. It was actively suppressed. I I always like to talk about there was this Italian anatomist who thought that he discovered the clitoris for the first time. (laughs) Not the first man to think that, I'm sure. (laughs) But but it turns out that it was actually just suppressed from the anatomical textbooks. And he he ended up being jailed for that because he tried to publish it as a new scientific finding. And he quickly found out that, no, it wasn't undiscovered. It was just being kept secret Mm -hmm. because it it is an organ of pleasure. (laughs) And we cannot have that. Well, yeah, it's been believed for thousands of years that women were not meant to enjoy pleasure. That's right. Yeah, they weren't meant to have a pleasurable experience. It's just about reproduction. And any Anything counter to that is extremely revolutionary and dangerous, you know. It still is. It still Still is. is. All right, this is Sex and Science Hour. We got more coming up for you. Coming up, why do men have unwanted sex? We're bending genders a lot tonight. Uh, Stay tuned. There's more coming up on Sex and Science Hour. This is Sex and Science Hour. All right, MK. Why do men have unwanted sex? That's a good question, isn't it? Do you, first of all, do you believe that men do engage in unwanted sex? Absolutely. Yes, yes. I do too. And I mean, I think that's something that a lot of people who grow up steeped in American culture may have a difficult time accepting or believing mm-hmm. because it is a cultural norm to some extent that men are supposed to always want sex. There's no such thing as unwanted sex to a man. They'll have sex with anything at any time, anyone at any time, unless it's another man. Whoa, there, right? (laughs) If it's female, yeah, right, no homo, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, we have these strong cultural norms, but it actually turns out that, um, you know, men are not immune from being subject to situations where they might not want sex, but they feel pressured to engage in it. So once you wrap your head around that, the question becomes, okay, why? What motivates men in those situations? If you had to guess, uh, what, what would you say? Well, I think there is a lot of social conditioning on men to To be uphold very, that gender norm of always wanting it. sex. Yeah, and, and to be expected to perform their gender in that kind of way mm-hmm. to fit this expectation. And it's really sad, and I think it's it leads it can lead to yeah a lot of unwanted sex because you're trying to conform to something you feel like you are less of a man if you don't want sex for some reason because you've been told that you're supposed to always want sex, and that's extremely destructive to men. Right. I, I wish that they did not have that expectation, but according to this article, it's not just that. It's and of mm. course it never is. Things are always more complicated. And right. In this article, it's arguing that, I mean, while the gender expectations play a role in that, it's actually they just didn't want to, you know... To create conflict. Someone, create conflict. Yeah, to hurt someone's feelings. Yeah. yeah. So this is... Uh, this Which is just from- like, oh, that's a really sensitive way to, like, think of men. And I think it's... I think that is 
equally valid too. They don't want to cause conflict. Most people are pretty conflict averse, especially when it comes to intimate relationships and mm-hmm. intimate interpersonal relationships. For example, we were talking about that article, the, the girl who is impersonating the sports writer. Yes. It's a lot easier to be mean on the internet when you're not face to face with someone. Oh, yeah. And that's you could be a total totally asshole. How know? many people are total assholes online that, uh, you know, you probably the power in person. Yeah, when exactly. They, when they meet you or like they're, they're not going to say those things to, to your face online. And yeah, I think with intimate situations it's even more so like you you are already in a vulnerable position mm-hmm. and so you don't want to hurt someone's feelings like you have there's a lot of vulnerability there when you have a higher rate i guess of vulnerability in an interpersonal situation then you're even more conflict averse yeah so uh we're getting this from NYU where the research was done uh this is a press release and it's talking about uh Jessie Ford, she's a sociologist at NYU, and she is the one who did this research about why do men have unwanted sex. And yeah, like we just discussed, she said it's not only these gender norms that expect men to constantly want sex and and be ready for it all the time as long as it's with a woman, but it's also this desire to avoid conflict. And I can really see that because you know, like I just listened to this audiobook of uh of he's just not that into you. <laughs> and I've talked about it a little bit on on the show before, but basically the premise is that, you know, d- dating it, it it really isn't that complicated. Everybody wants to like decode this behavior and oh, he's really busy, that's why he didn't call me back. Oh, his mother just died, so he's in a really difficult spot. He just had this really bad breakup. And it's like, no, if someone's really into you, you're not going to need to make so many excuses for them or to decode their behavior or to try to figure out what they mean by this or what they mean by that. It'll be clear and unambiguous through their actions, ignoring what they say, but their actions that they want to spend time with you, they want to have sex with you, and they want to uh, be committed to you. So I mean, I really liked the message of the book, I was fully expecting it to be like a shitty book full of just gender norm stuff. And there were like a few tropes in there, maybe, but I actually thought it was a great book. And one of the things that they said in the book was, basically, men will go and I think this is not just true for men, but also true for all genders, men will go through, they will jump through, they will do anything to avoid telling somebody straight up to their face, look, I just don't like you that much. I'm just not that into you. They will do anything possible to avoid that. And so they will say, Oh, yeah, I like you. Oh, yeah, I want to see you again. Oh, I'll call you. Oh, you should call me. But really, all of that is just to avoid doing the dirty work of saying, look, I just don't think you're the one for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not going to work out. Sorry, you know, no hard feelings, you know. And it right. seems so simple to say that, but it, we have such a hard time saying that because we are conditioned, you know. There's a lot of movies where a man will say that to a woman and she'll, oh my God, what an asshole, and like throw a drink in his face or yell at him and scream at him. That may have even happened in real life, right? When somebody rejects you and then they... um 
and then you you freak out. <laughs> yeah, well, rejection hurts, and you don't want to reject someone else because mm-hmm. if you've ever been rejected, you know that that hurts. Yeah, so that's it's right. easier to just ghost someone or bench someone. Yes, or, you know, just avoid the conflict entirely. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it makes sense. It, the more we learn not, learn about gender, the more we realize that on an individual level, there's less variation between people than we really think. Yeah. I mean, I've had unwanted sex before to avoid conflict. Oh, so have I. Oh my gosh, and I. Think think that I've been in situations before where I don't know, like, I like to think I never like pressured anybody into sex. But mm-hmm. I there's situations I wonder about in my own life where was this person just having sex with me because I obviously wanted it and they didn't want to upset me or rock the boat. Yeah. And it was easier to just kind of go along with it. And like, what kind of a monster does that make me? And like, I guess at least I'm thinking about it, right, where most people don't even think about it. But mm-hmm. but yeah. yeah, I mean, I think this is actually a really common thing where you like someone and you, you like them enough not to want to hurt their feelings or not to want to upset them. And you care about what they think of you. Maybe you also care about what they're going to tell their friends afterward, right? Yeah. What are they going to, what are they going to gossip about you if you don't have sex with them? Right. Are they going to tell their, your, their friends? I mean, that goes for women too, because, you know, they have this sort of damned if you do damned if you don't, right? Like if you do, they're going to tell their friends you're a slut. And if you don't, if you don't, they're going to tell their friends you're a prude or frigid or something like Mm -hmm. that. So, I mean, women have that pressure too, but all those things play into it. And you might like someone enough to not hurt their feelings or not want to upset them or just want to keep the peace with them or maybe be afraid of them enough to want to keep the peace with them. Um, and so you go along with sex, but that's a really shitty reason to go ahead with sex. And it doesn't make for good, good reason- sex. No, it's no, not it enthusiastic se- sex. If you've, if you've ever had non-enthusiastic sex versus enthusiastic sex, oh, yeah. then there's a huge a difference. Huge difference. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it hurts. It, I think it hurts your soul a little bit every time you do that. And it's like, I know that sounds corny, but like for me, I feel like every time I do anything just for somebody else's sake, not ignoring what I genuinely want, going against my own preferences for the sake of somebody else, for the sake of keeping the peace, for the sake of not creating conflict. Every time I stuff down my own needs and preferences a little bit, it hurts, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it may not be immediately obvious that it hurts, but later on it comes out in other ways. Like that pain, you have to deal with it somehow, the pain of suppressing your own needs and not putting yourself first or being your own advocate. So, I mean, and it can set up a cycle that's really harmful too. You know, the first time yeah. you do that, it can become expected of you to do it in the future, and that adds even more pressure to where you can't. You feel like maybe you can't say no that's if right. it happens again, or you can't like give them. You can't even uh, like announce your preferences at all. You can't give mm-hmm. them tips. You can't like yeah, right, exactly. It becomes harder to say no in the future, and you just dig yourself deeper and deeper. So, I mean, I don't know what to take away from this. I guess just that we all have to deal with uh, sexual pressure in some ways, right? And we can mm-hmm. be aware of that. And we can try not to, we can try to like make sure our partners are genuinely consenting and really think of what they want. Because obviously sex is, a, is something that, unless you're masturbating, takes more than one person to participate in. And mm-hmm. that other person has their own needs and feelings and values and preferences. And it's just as important as yours to take them into consideration. Yeah. And we're already comfortable enough, I would say, in this country with the idea that it's completely wrong to pressure women into sex. And it's, it's very very terrible. And 
I think a lot of people understand it's wrong to pressure anyone into sex, but something like this, when it's when the genders are kind of reversed, mm -hmm. I think it's taking a little bit longer for people to accept some of these notions about men and masculinity and things like that. Like it's wrong to push sex on anyone, even if you think that they should fall into this social stereotype of always wanting sex. Absolutely, like, always ask. You know, it's not hard. You know, and if and you can pick up on body language too, even if someone's saying yes. But their actions maybe show some type of hesitancy, right. like maybe back off some, you know, like no one's entitled to sex from anyone. Always look at the actions, even if the words are in line with what you want to hear. And I've made this mistake myself in the past, even mm -hmm. if the words are, are telling if someone's telling you what you clearly want to hear ignore that go with their what their actions are saying because the actions are where the truth lies mm -hmm. and and by the way you brought up a great point that i wanted to touch on as well which was uh i think there's another myth about this where people think that men can't be forced into unwanted sex because they won't mm -hmm. get a boner well that's not true that's not true right, right. they can men and women both can have unwanted physiological reactions to touching or being in a sexual situation that their mind doesn't want, but their body kind of betrays them. This is actually a really common thing with people who go through any type of sexual trauma. They're like, mm -hmm. well, why did I react to it? I didn't want to be doing it. Like, but you can't help it. It's like your body, if you're touched in a certain way, sometimes will just respond. Mm -hmm. And it can be really difficult to like wrap your head around that but it's important to to recognize that it's a myth that men can't be raped because they won't get a boner right, right. yeah like i've had male friends who have been raped and it's so much harder for them it's hard for anyone to come out and say they've been victimized in that way yeah but i think it's especially hard for men because there's this assumption that they can't be raped or you know how did you, again you had a boner so you obviously wanted it, or right. if she Boner was does not smaller mean than you, like, why didn't you push her off? Like, why didn't you protect yourself? And we would never say that yeah. to, you know, a woman or a person of another gender who's in a less powerful right. seeming position. Right. But power is very different, and power is very complex. It's not always a matter of physical difference. That's right, yeah. Well, speaking of power dynamics, I've got another story if you're up for talking about it. Yes. Um, I think this is actually kind of important because you've been talking about on your show, uh, and, and just, I don't know, I think you've been thinking about this a lot lately, the whole Me Too phenomenon and where women are coming forward and being empowered to talk publicly about experiences of sexual assault and sexual harassment. And it's happening a lot lately. It, it seems like there's some kind of critical mass that's been reached. A lot of celebrities are being outed as perverts and creeps who have sexually harassed and assaulted and raped women. Um, and sometimes not just women, it's been men too, and people of all genders. So it's, you know, me too can apply to anyone. But of course, it is very common with people who are read as women or female, femme by society. Um, now, the reason I said uh, power dynamics was, what do you do if this happens to you by someone who has you in a very vulnerable position, like a massage therapist? Um, some people are afraid to go to a massage therapist and get a massage because they're afraid that they might get touched inappropriately. And 
even though licensed massage therapists have extremely stringent ethical standards, they are not supposed to do that. You know, massages don't come standard with a happy ending. Okay. Like there is no, there is no inappropriate touching that's included in a massage. They're not supposed to touch you in areas that are covered by a bathing suit. If you're wondering what that is. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and massage therapists don't, um, I, I get massages and I've never had a massage therapist, uh, touch me anywhere that I didn't want to be touched, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but unfortunately there's been some women coming forward and saying that actually more than 180 women have reported being sexually assaulted at a, a chain of massage, uh, at a spa chain called massage envy. Now I don't mean to, you know, just bring up these allegations against massage envy. I'm sure that this is a large chain and they've got a lot of locations. It's a billion dollar company. Um, they just have numbers. And so this is happening. And they also apparently have a corporate policy that isn't really designed to protect the clients. It's more to protect the company, <laughs> you know, as we'll see as we get into this article. But I'm sh- but, but like sexual assault happens with massage therapists all over the place. It's not just at chains. It's, it can happen to anyone basically. And, you know, it's really important if you're willing, if you feel comfortable, um, to say something about it because otherwise it may continue going on. And who knows how many clients, uh, a, a massage therapist could have. They could be touching all of those clients and everybody is thinking to themselves, Oh my God. Well, did I, did I actually imagine this? I'm second guessing myself. Is anyone going to believe me if I talk about it? Well, if it happened to you, odds are you're not the only one it happened to. So, you know, I, I hope, I hope at this time in 2017, um, people are going to be more empowered and more likely to come forward if they do experience something like this and more likely to be believed. That's something that I think a lot of people have known for a really long time, especially women. Yeah. That if it's happened to you, it's happened to other people. That's right. And yeah. now it's like finally, like you said, reaching a critical mass to where it's being accepted as truth and reality, even though it's always been reality. <laughs> right. Um, it's being more broadly accepted. And that's a really good thing. Because yeah, if if it has happened to you, it's happened to other people. It, this is the way abuse works. Abuse in, in sexual harassment, sexual assault is a systemic problem. Yeah. And abusers are able to get away with it because it's such a humiliating, intimidating thing to have happen. Yes. They count on the victims being silent. Yes. Yes. And it's a lot easier to be silent when you've experienced certain types of, ex- I mean, to be sexually abused is one of the most disempowering things you can go through. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to talk about it to people. You don't, maybe you don't want people to feel bad for you, or you don't want to think of yourself as a victim, or you're just too ashamed, um, or you think you were the only one or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though I would say a lot more women know that's not the case, I think there's still a significant portion who don't know that that's a general rule when it comes to sexual abuse. Right. And the massage thing, that's, that's one of my scariest, um, your worst fears. One of my yeah. worst fears. And I didn't get a massage for so long because I'm very um, weird about strangers touching me. Of because course. of my history with, with uh, you know, being sexually abused and stuff. Like, I didn't get a massage for until I was – until after I got divorced even. I mean, I didn't get a massage until I turned – I think I was, like, after 25. Um, 
And I only went to a friend that I had known for almost a decade at that point mm-hmm. to give me a massage. And she was a female and, you know, I trusted her completely. And mm-hmm. I've been weird. I've still, I'm still even kind of nervous about massages now. Um, you know, of course, most massage therapists are professionals and they're not yes. going to engage in that kind of behavior. But you read stuff like this and it, it's kind of terrifying. It's You're in such – you're in one of the most vulnerable positions when you're getting a massage. You're mostly nude. Mm-hmm. You're in the in private quarters with a stranger. Mm-hmm. And it's very – You the can't power exactly dynamic just get up and them. walk away because yeah. you're undressed. Right, right. It, it causes a whole thing that you have to go – you have to process. And when, when something like that is happening to you – you're not going to have an immediate reaction because you're in shock. And this is what something d- people don't realize when when they say, oh, well, why didn't such and such come out about this sooner? Or why didn't they tell the person to stop? Why didn't they say something at the time or do something? When it's happening, you're in such a state of shock and you're in a totally different mind frame and you have a delayed reaction to it. Sometimes you don't even get angry about what happened to you until weeks or months later. Right. You may not even recognize it as abuse. And that's also what we're seeing with the Me Too phenomenon. You're seeing a bunch of people coming out and, and having to relive that and realizing that some of the things that have happened to them were not okay. We're not, we're, we're extremely damaging mm-hmm. and they're having to kind of reconcile that with how they're moving forward in their lives. Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you said that because like, yeah, if anybody's listening to this, sexual harassment is extremely common. I, I don't know I, anyone who hasn't been I don't know anyone harassed. who hasn't either. You yeah. know, of any gender, really. Yeah. It happens to everyone. Yeah. And so if you think you've never been sexually harassed, let's just start there with harassment. That's sort of like the lowest bar, I guess. If you think you've never been sexually harassed, you might want to think again, because you probably have. And there are just things, you know, you just haven't understood it as such to be harassment. Right, right. It's such a broad category. And it is different than other types of sexual abuse. But that doesn't mean that it's not a problem. It's even more prevalent because it's not always is outwardly violent. Yeah, it can be right. extremely subtle. If you look at some of these cases that are coming out, we're finding out about someone like Al Franken, who's real handsy with people and oh. real like subtly gropey. And that's much more common yeah. than, uh, for example, Harvey Weinstein drugging people and raping people and right. setting up spy networks on them. Mm-hmm. You know, one is maybe seen as more insidious and malicious than the other one, but sexual harassment is on a spectrum mm-hmm. like so many other things. It's, it's almost it's still like- a problem. You know, it's, it's not good to like downplay. I, I read this terrible article about, oh God, it, it got me so upset about how Al Franken's victim wasn't a victim because, you know, this, the person writing it was like, I've been raped and I've had worse things happen to me. And that's the complete wrongheaded approach Mm. when it comes to this topic. Yeah. It's not a one upmanship. Like my trauma is worse than your trauma. It's okay. We all have trauma, you know, to some extent in some areas. And we, we have to recognize everybody's traumas as such as traumas. Mm hmm. Yeah, like I think you said when you shared that online that like if you drown in seven feet of water and somebody else drowns in 14 feet of water, you both drowned, right? It's both like bad things, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I'm glad that we're seeing 
a larger degree of empathy for people who have gone through things like this. And we're seeing so much of this violence exposed because let's call it what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a form of violence. It is a, a way to exploit power dynamics in a situation. And a lot of times these people think that nothing was going to come of it. Mm -hmm. And so far it hasn't. I mean, oh, yeah, because until like now, kind of. It, it's almost like I was going to say before, it's almost like an art how the way that abusers manipulate people into gaslighting themselves. Gaslighting mm -hmm. is like, you know, when you kind of make someone think they're going crazy, right? Like people who are victims of abuse and harassment often think that like they, they talk themselves out of thinking that something bad was done to them. They mm -hmm. don't think they think, well, did I actually imagine that? Did that really happen? If I talk about this, is anyone going to believe me? You know, am I going to get in trouble for this? Is this going to be blamed on me? Like all those thoughts go through somebody's head. And the abusers have ways of like subtly instilling those thoughts, or at least invoking them that like invoking the thoughts that people absorb from just general culture and society, like society and culture teach you how to gaslight yourself almost into thinking that you weren't actually victimized, or even if you were, no one's going to care. And so you shouldn't talk about it. And you should be ashamed and embarrassed, you mm -hmm. know, and that's what abusers count on. And that's how they get away with it. Yes. So Realizing that, realizing that there's actually like a, a concrete mechanism for this that you can describe that is, that, that shows how abusers silence their victims and how victims get, get silenced and how they can, abusers continue to get away with it. Understanding that it breaks, it breaks its spell over you. You know, it breaks its power over you so that you can actually snap out of it and understand what happened to you as something traumatic. And then if you're, up for it, if you're comfortable, you can talk about it and you can bring that abuser down. And now we're seeing that happen and I'm glad. So anyway, you know, just introduce this topic from the, the, uh, massage envy thing. But, um, that was kind of what I, the discussion that I wanted to get into. Yeah. Yeah. And again, I, I'm glad that it's happening. I want all the predators to be outed. I don't care how likable they are. I don't care how wonderful they are. I don't care what good things they've done. No amount of good things that someone does for other people outweighs how they've abused other people in different situations. Mm -hmm. Because you do treat people differently in a lot of cases. I, I've heard so many cases of abuse. For example, something like domestic violence mm -hmm. that's so insidious and it's such a huge problem. And one of the most common things you hear in situations like that is, well, it's none of my business. It's just between those two people. And well, let's just say it's a guy. The guy's never done anything bad to me. He's never hurt me. And it's like he wouldn't have, though. Right. Especially when it comes to how men treat each other versus how they treat women. Oh, yes. Yeah. A man can be perfectly nice to other men because he recognizes that they're on an even power playing field. That's right. They're yeah. not going to not exploit that power differential with other people. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's such the biggest takeaway from all of this is recognizing what power does to people, even in small ways. Mm -hmm. even in what we would think of as kind of subtle ways. And people really need to take this in, take this as a lesson, 
because it's not an excuse for abuse. And it's, and you're enabling abuse if you're one of those people who's saying, well, such and such was nice to me, you know, or the whole, there's two sides to every story bullshit, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, there are two sides to every story, but one side's usually closer to the truth. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to that situation, you have to observe power dynamics and you have to observe who's more likely to be exploited. Yeah, I agree. And it's, should we treat everyone, you know, the same and as we want to be treated and stuff like that? Yeah, sure, ideally, but that's not what reality works like. Mm -hmm. And if you function in, you know, operating off of fantasy principles in reality land, bad things can happen to you. And you also... Not you personally, but that's why society hasn't progressed in a lot of ways. Yeah. Is people have their idea of what things should be and a limited perspective on how people can be. And we're finding out some of our most favorite artists and actors and stuff like that are not great people. I wrote a whole article for this on on Medium, too, basically about how we deal with the art and the artists. And it's called The Art We Lost. And it focuses on, yes, there are all these great artists throughout history that have created these wonderful, beautiful things that were uh, kind of shitty people, that abused people, that permanently harmed people. And what about the artists and other creative types that they abused? We're forever missing out on the art that they could have made. Yeah, that the victims could have made, but that they couldn't make because they were so traumatized, right? Yeah. Yeah, everybody, everybody, that's like the scene and the unseen, right? (laughs) It's, that's what, yeah, that's the analogy I always use with this stuff, the scene and the unseen. I mean, I've lost years of creative output to trauma. Yeah. Because of bullshit abuse that I've had to go through. And it's frustrating and it makes me extremely angry to think about that the people who were in those positions of power and and that abused me did not lose out in that same kind of way. Or they're still seen as revered in certain circles Mm -hmm. as they're still seen as good people, or it was diminished because it was like, well, that's just between you two. That's just a relationship thing. Mm -hmm. Something we've, we've also found is that people who kill their spouses or their partners get lighter prison sentences than strangers who kill other strangers on the street. And this is specific to women. That is really disturbing. It is really disturbing. Mm -hmm. And it's a reflection of these kinds of social problems. The two-sides-ism, right? Like the making excuses. Yeah. I know we see it in, in all kinds of circumstances. Like, sometimes people are just so quick to be an apologist for somebody who has victimized someone else. If that person is liked, if that person is popular or socially powerful, right? Where, you know, we see it over and over, like the Steubenville, Ohio rape case, where they were lamenting the end of the football careers of the rapists or Brock Turner, the end of his swimming career. And his father wrote this letter to the judge where he said, oh, a 30 minute mistake shouldn't cost him a whole career, right? What about his career? We always hear that. Mm -hmm. And really, what about the, what about everything that was taken away from the victim? You know, that Mm -hmm. we may never see because they're so traumatized that they have to spend all this time healing from their trauma and can't create or or do anything. Well, not that they can't necessarily do anything productive, but there is a cost to having to heal from all that trauma, having to spend time and resources healing from trauma instead of uh, doing other things. 
And the people who are most likely to be victimized don't always even have access to those resources. Yeah, that's right. The, the most disadvantaged people in society. I mean, those people are the easiest to abuse and they have the least amount of resources to help recover from that abuse. You know, they're not going to be able to go to an EMDR therapist and get that type of treatment or right. go to a CBT therapist or, you know, EMDR, get but- on some medication to help them deal with the nightmares and stuff they might be suffering or other PTSD symptoms. Like, it's not always a matter of, well, you know, Bad stuff happens, but at least, you know, people can get help and heal from it. Like, that's a very limited perspective of mm-hmm. who can actually get help and heal from it. Yeah, and it's, not it's tricky. Can. It's really tricky to heal sometimes, and it's expensive to heal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. And by the way, just for anybody who's listening and doesn't know what EMDR therapy is or CBD uh, therapy, uh, CBT, excuse me. <laughs> it's confusing. Where's it your C- mind at? CBD oil. <laughs> right. Uh, EMDR is a modality of therapy that is supposed to help with uh, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. EMDR stands for like eye movement directed response or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's it basically is uh, the, the basic idea as I understand it is kind of slowly reintroducing people to things that might be triggering to their PTSD while having them do a series of eye movements that are supposed to be like kind of just distracting enough to keep the person from dissociating and, and get them to be able to integrate that therapeutic re-exposure to the things that trigger them. Mm -hmm. And rebuilding different pathways in the brain because we're finding out the way the brain deals with trauma is creating these pathways. And the more you think of that trauma, you're making a stronger kind of pathway. Mm. You're making a direct Digging that rut deeper. Right, right. And it gets harder to heal. And I've experienced this personally as someone who, you know, has gone through PTSD symptoms. It's, um, it's, infuriating and like the brain is so complex but it's just it can be infuriating and terrifying to not have any control over what your brain is thinking about and just reliving these kinds of traumatic things yeah it can drive you crazy yeah and it's very difficult to learn how to stop that without actual therapy Mm -hmm. you know and i've done a limited amount of therapy i've done cognitive behavioral therapy which is is cbt that was mentioned before cognitive behavioral therapy is the idea that there are thoughts that cause feelings there are thoughts that underlie feelings and so if we can question those thoughts and whether they're actually true we can sometimes talk ourselves out of feelings that are unwanted or negative yeah and i've had some some success with that But it is very difficult when you get into a kind of depression, anxiety cycle to snap out of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. It's really, really hard. I haven't heard anybody say that in a while to someone who's depressed. Like, well, I'll just snap out of it. Because I think now people are maybe recognizing a little more that you really can't just snap out of it. That's why it's called like a medical condition. You know, you can't just like pull yourself off by your bootstraps and snap out of it. It's not that easy. Yeah, some people get our bootstraps from Target, and those don't hold up super well. That's right, that's right. (laughs) Okay, so normally on Sex and Science Hour, we don't give that out as advice. Uh, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and try harder. But... 
This might be a little bit of a different case. Um, MK, we got an email last week from a man who is married to a woman. And he said he was unhappy with his sex life. And he wanted to know what could he do. He said his wife treats sex as though it's a chore. And it's really not a turn on to him. And, um, you know, he's he's up against a wall here. He's really unhappy. Can he propose an open marriage to her? And we gave him some advice, but I wanted to know what you thought about that question. So I would say that I, I'm polyamorous. I am a supporter of open relationships, theoretically and in practice. But I do think that starting an open relationship in a closed marriage before trying other things first is a setup for some very – you can really get – deeply entrenched into some bad stuff there because you're not addressing some of the root causes. You're trying to substitute in other relationships for a, and maybe not in this case, I don't know what the emailer has already done. He didn't mention if he's done other types of therapy or we, you know, other types of approaches to it. But you know, I would gener- say as a generalize first, it. Forget about this this particular emailer because this is a question we've gotten before. I'm sure. Like, yeah, he's you, not I've the only one before. who's asked this question. So I think we just talk about it in a general sense. Yeah, like, I think if that's your first approach to fixing your marriage, you should probably take a step back and really start evaluating what are some of the other problems in the marriage. What is it that maybe your wife isn't getting out of this exchange? If she's not thrilled about sex, is there anything that you can do to make her experience better so that you both Mm -hmm. have a good experience? Sex should be fun. You don't have to stop having sex because you're married. (laughs) You know, like (laughs) it it should be the opposite. You know, I know that's kind of like a jokey stereotype, but it does sometimes happen because that comes from taking someone else for granted. And if someone feels like they're being taken for granted, that's not super sexy feeling no or if they feel like there's pressure on them to perform a certain you know number of times or to do specific things or whatever Mm -hmm. um that can be unsexy too like if she's treating it as a chore and a bore well i mean yeah the first question you should be asking is like okay how can i make her experience better so that she doesn't feel that that way about it how can i make it fun again Mm-hmm. So you can try think one of the, I think, one of the good practices with something of like polyamory is being able to openly have these conversations with your partner, mm-hmm. open communication, honest communication, direct communication, because you can't beat around the bush when it comes to any relationship. It's you're totally setting yourself up for failure. So if you can't this, talk about it, it's never going to get better. It's not going to get better. So I agree. The conversation starts with your wife about what does she need? Maybe she needs different types of stimulation. Maybe she wants to experiment more. Maybe you want to try different toys or things like that. There are sex therapists whose entire job is to help in this field. I would highly recommend seeing a sex therapist, a professional who knows what they're talking about and can kind of give you some pointers for the specific area because or I, if you can't afford a therapist because be real like not, maybe, not everyone can afford one but there are lots of good books out there yes. books are cheap all you have to do is read them <laughs> and they will tell you a lot of the same things that a therapist would tell you maybe not personalized to your specific situation but they will have enough general advice that you can pick and choose things that you that apply to you and put them into practice 
Right, right. And I think if you kind of take that approach, maybe an open marriage is a good idea down the road if you have that conversation stuff, but I don't think it should be a first resort if your marriage is not doing well. There are underlying problems that are causing that. It's not just a matter of your needs aren't being met, so you need to seek that out elsewhere. Her needs aren't being met either. Yeah, it seems pretty obvious that her needs are not being met (laughs) either. So like how, you know, ask her what she likes. Maybe she wants to try something new and she's nervous to talk about it. You know, maybe she's thinking of things that, you know, she wants to be more adventurous with. And Unless she's just like asexual or or she's gone through some medical issues or something that have impacted her sexual desire. I mean... People's level of desire does change over their lifetimes, right? It, it goes, yeah, it goes in like hills and valleys sometimes. Mm-hmm. You're not always going to want to be having as much sex as often as you normally or as you once did. And I've had hormonal problems, for example, that caused a decreased interest in sex. Mm-hmm. And it did cause really serious problems in the relationship I was in mm-hmm. because it was undiagnosed, so we didn't know. Uh, so there was this assumption that this lack of desire was based in... That there's something wrong with you. That there's something right? wrong with me. <laughs> You're just not trying hard enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Either that I wasn't trying hard enough or that he wasn't trying hard enough. And it caused so many problems for years and years, too. And we finally figured out, it's like, you know, there's a medical basis to this. And once I was able to kind of get that treated, things did get better, but so much damage had been done by then that it was still very hard to undo that kind of damage. So listen to your partner and, you know, talk to her, find out how her needs need to be met and try different things first. Read some books on it. I'm sure there, you know, there are tons of books. I would go by, you know, reading the ratings and stuff like that. Uh, I've always found that to be pretty useful, you know, looking on Amazon or something like that, finding the most highly rated books on sex therapy. Amazon knows what you want and knows what you need. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And, And, you know, yeah, just kind of having that open dialogue. And if you're unable to get to that level of honest communication, then again, that's another aspect you there are books about there are ways to kind of figure out how to make things easier to talk about yeah right how can you create an environment where she feels comfortable telling you the most honest feedback about your sex life and maybe it's maybe that's not something that's going to be super easy to hear right but it may not be yeah. yeah but but i mean if for the sake of your marriage you want to hear it i mean i really like what you said mk at the beginning of answering this question of like an open relationship isn't a fix for problems in your existing relationship. Mm -hmm. It's not fair to expect another person to solve your sexual problems. That's almost like they're entering, entering into a relationship with somebody else to fix problems in another relationship is entering into that relationship with an expectation on your new partner that they didn't ask for and they probably didn't want. And I mean, nobody really wants, unless they're a therapist and you're not having a sexual relationship with your therapist, nobody wants to do that work of fixing somebody else's relationship, really. So, And it's a bit dehumanizing to both partners in that situation. And even to yourself, because what you're doing when you're saying, you know, I don't want to maybe fix some of these underlying problems, I just want to 
go to replace, somebody else. Yeah, I want to go to someone else for this very specific need. Yeah. You're ignoring all the other parts about that person or you're expecting sex from them or you're expecting someone else to fill this kind of void. And that's not good to put on someone else. Mm-hmm. That's It can be very traumatizing to put someone else in that situation and to your wife who might feel discarded or have feelings of jealousy. Yes. It, 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 it's very, very difficult to mm-hmm. do a monogamous relationship or an open relationship. There are challenges with all types of relationship structures and and good luck finding a partner who just wants to have sex with you for an indefinite period of time whenever you want to have sex with no strings attached and no commitment and nothing. It's objectifying. You know, right. You're thinking you want a sex doll. Right. You want basically. a sex doll or maybe a sex worker. But at the same time, you know, your your wife not may not be on board with that. And that's mm-hmm. not exactly an open marriage because you're not having a relationship with somebody else. That's just going to a sex worker, right? Right. And it maybe it is maybe your wife would be open to the idea of having an open relationship. Maybe she's thinking about having another partner or something like that. You know, that is a possibility, but Mm -hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that the first assumption. Yeah. And there could be a lot of other issues going on in her life. Maybe she's under a lot of stress from work or raising a family or things like that. So many things can affect sex drive. So many people nowadays are just working 24 seven and there's like, there's nothing less stress, sexy than stress, you know? So many people are under like financial pressure to support the household or just sleep deprived because of kids or because of work or whatever life happens, you know, or, or it could be even caring for your aging parents, right? Like mm-hmm. what if you're, you're having family issues or issues with the health of a family member and you're the caregiver? I mean, there's so many things that can suck away somebody's time and sexual desire. And sometimes you just have to be patient in those situations I mean, you, you can always masturbate. I always tell people you can have as much sex as you want. All you have to do is be willing to have sex with yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You can always have sex anytime you want it. All you have to do is just accept that it's okay to masturbate, (laughs) Mm -hmm. right? And you can have great sex because you know exactly what you like. You're getting real time feedback. So masturbation counts as sex. You can have as much sex as you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not, you don't want to be putting a band-aid on a wound without addressing the underlying causes of it. Yeah, because then you'll just get gangrene. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, right. I I agree. Like, uh, yeah, like we said, open relationship is not a fix for problems in an existing relationship. If you do want to go the open relationship route, I would recommend, you know, have your have any relationships that you're currently in on extremely solid ground Mm -hmm. before seeking out a new partner. Because that's the only way it's going to work is if they're on extremely solid ground, if everybody gets along, if there is constant communication between everybody involved, if the person who comes into that relationship second, or if the person who's newer to that, that relationship, if the person you bring in doesn't feel like they're some object, you know, that, that is being brought in for your pleasure and their, their own needs don't matter. That's the only way it's really going to work. And unfortunately those situations are pretty rare. Yeah. And this (laughs) is one of the biggest mistakes people switching from monogamy to open relationships do. And this is why open relationships get a bad rap. Yeah. Is because they're so often seen as 
this kind of thing that was made to kind of fix an already faltering relationship. Yeah, that's right. Some people write about polyamory and they're like, okay, well, when, like, uh, the couple, and it's like, wait a minute, there's, there's no, like, there should be no concept of the couple in polyamory, right? Like, it doesn't always start with, like, a couple, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I don't know. I just think it's kind of funny when they, when, when you hear stuff like that, Mm because it shows that it shows a common trope that people try to do open relationships with, but that isn't necessarily ideal. (laughs) So there, there was one more thing I wanted to say about this. Um, yeah, I don't know if you have any thoughts. You can go ahead. Yeah. Well, it can be a bit of a minefield too, especially if you do venture into the world of polyamory and open relationships. And because the thing is, you can't hide a relationship that has problems from your other partners Mm -hmm. past a certain point. Those problems are going to bubble right to the surface and you don't want anyone to feel used and disrespected and discarded. And it also has to be like, you can't have a double standard either. So like, if you want an open relationship, what are you going to do if your wife says, yeah, sure, I'll have an open relationship. And then she goes and finds five different partners, and you can't find a single partner. This is an extremely common thing. Yep. With, yeah, with relationships where there's, you know, a woman and a man Mm -hmm. involved, it, you know, sometimes the man proposes, let's have an open relationship, and the woman ends up finding it easier to get a partner. Yep. And that leads to, again, a lot of insecurity and and problems. And you really want to work out a lot of that before you kind of use that as an option. Right. I mean, this is what I wanted to say before I just remembered. This is the reason people get married. You don't get married just to say, okay, well, everything's going to be perfect during our relationship. It's all going to be sunshine and roses. We don't have to work on it anymore. It's just going to fall back into place, fall right into place. And if there's any problem, oh, well, there won't be any problem. But if there is, we'll just split. No, you get married to make a commitment to each other to say, we're not going to give up on this relationship that easily. Even if we have a problem that seems really hard, we're committing to each other by marrying each other and saying that we're going to do everything we can, we can think of to work on it. And if we can't think of anything else, maybe we'll have to bring in a professional like a counselor or a therapist, or we'll have to go read some books, or we'll have to email Sex and Science Hour and ask for advice on it, right? Yeah. Like, good for you for reaching and out. I but, was about to say, yeah. It's but this is why people out. get married, because they're making that commitment to stay together in the hard times, as well as the good. And in the hard times, it's even more important to remember that commitment you made, and if it's at all important to you. Yeah. And considering the very difficult things you can face in your marriage in any aspect of it. Sex stuff can be, it's not, I wouldn't say it's easy to solve, but it is one of the problems you can have that is more manageable because there are a lot of very inexpensive resources out there to deal with it. Absolutely. And, you know, it's sexual problems are not uncommon in relationships, Mm -hmm. marriage or, or otherwise, but Fuck. I mean, I think it's almost easier to deal with sexual problems, at least some sexual problems, than it is to deal with like differing attitudes about money, for example, which is another big killer. Yeah. Oh my God. That's another really common reason that people fight in marriages and relationships or, or, or like family issues. If your spouse doesn't get along with your family or your family doesn't like your spouse. I mean, there's lots of problems that could come up in a marriage besides just sexual problems. And there are, the good news is there are lots of resources to deal with sexual problems. So Mm -hmm. 
And thanks for, you know, reaching out because, yeah, good for you. Sex and Science Hour is, I think, a good show to be asking these questions of, you know. Yeah. Thanks for your perspective, MK. I just, I just, I know we talked about that question last week, but just the fact that we've gotten that question over and over again throughout the years Mm -hmm. in, in various forms and that so many people who are listening are probably have the exact same question on their mind. And also, I don't feel like we gave the best answer last week when we addressed it. I'm really glad we got to talk about it again. So thanks. Thanks a lot for asking a question. If you want to send a question into the show, email show at sexandsciencehour.com, or you can go to sexandsciencehour.com and uh, use the contact form to send us an anonymous question because we love questions on this show. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I guess that's going to do it. We do have an after show coming up, but if you're leaving us now, thanks for joining us. Our website is sexandsciencehour.com, as I just mentioned. Tell a friend, tell two friends about the show. Uh, We really appreciate you tuning in every week, and we'll be back at you next week with another episode. And uh, stay tuned if you want to hear about the after show. If not, see you later. You've just heard Sex and Science Hour. Game over. Play again next week. Sex and Science Hour. This is the after show brought to you by stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Anything you hear about on our after show, if you want to get one for yourself, just simply follow that link, stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. You can get one for yourself and you will be on our after show. Yeah. There have been several things that have been bought through our link at stuff.sexandsciencehour.com that have appeared over and over again in the after shows. I think because people hear it mentioned on the after show and then somebody buys it and then it's mentioned again. So one of those items is the book, uh, She Comes First by Ian Kerner about pleasuring uh, thinking Man's Guide to Pleasuring a Woman. Ooh. Have you have you ever read that book, MK? I haven't read that, but that sounds amazing. Oh yeah, it's a great book. It's I mean, you wouldn't think because it's written by a guy. I was a little bit turned off by that at first, but it's actually very <laughs> it's actually very good. Uh, so that was bought through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Burt's Bees Bit of Coconut and Pear gift set. Ooh. Yeah, let's check this out. Oh, so it's like, it looks like a little stocking stuffer. It's like, um, you know, lip balms, like coconut and pear. I actually have the Burt's Bees coconut um, lip balm. And I wasn't a big fan, I guess, because I don't really like coconut that much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, this person must like it. I mean, pear sounds good, honestly. I think that sounds great. I like Burt's Bees. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see what else. A 10-piece eye bolt stainless steel eye bolt set. Uh, 10 of those, actually. Someone bought 10. So they're bolting down everything here. Everything that's not nailed down, they are bolting down. (laughs) Uh, We also had the Lithona lighting 
WF3LED, uh, which we had an article about LED lighting outdoors. It didn't make it on the show this week, but next week we're going to have the lighting expert, Brian Sovereign. So <laughs> he's going to be a lot more about lighting than I probably do. Yeah. Like so. MK and I were doing show prep. I'm like, mm, this doesn't seem to like really fit into the gender bending and like sexual <laughs> stuff themes. Exactly. So I think I'll save it for next week when Brian's here to talk about lighting. <laughs> Um, oh, this is interesting. The Dogs of Christmas, A Dog's Purpose. It looks like a, well, I can't see what it looks like. Amazon's saying beep, boop, beep, literally at me. All right. Well, we'll just ignore that. It's. I'll say it's a book. It's a, yes, by the cost of it, it appears to be a book. A Dog's Purpose, The Dogs of Christmas. Aww. Also, Roller Girl. Ooh, I like this one. Inferior, how science got women wrong. Ooh, I really oh, like that one. <laughs> that's, hey, that, that ties into what we were talking about earlier. Definitely. Uh, oh my gosh, that sounds like such an interesting book. I totally want to like read that or listen to that. Ruffy Duck Fat. 11.2 ounces. Now, oh, duck fat, my. or duck schmaltz, as it's sometimes called in the culinary world, is a delicious type of fat. It's especially good if you fry potatoes in it. Not mm-hmm. saying I've done this. Actually, I totally have. Oh, uh, I totally have. Yeah. I love duck. What do you, what's your opinion on duck? Oh, uh, duck is probably my favorite bird. Oh, I fucking It's love my it. absolute favorite. It's so fatty Any and good. chance I can get duck, you know, I, I am going to try to order duck. So <laughs> now, now MK All and I are too well aligned on the chicken partner thing. Um, in, in case you don't, in, in case you don't know, everybody out there has a perfect chicken partner. And what I mean by that is chicken and other birds have white meat and dark meat. It's, um, it's basically the difference between fast twitch and slow twitch muscles. So the breast, which is a fast twitch muscle, um, or is it a slow twitch muscle? Uh, it's a I, no, dry it would, muscle it would that be I don't a, like. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so basically, humans have white meat and dark meat, too. We just don't eat humans, so we don't know it. But so... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Humans have a tenderloin too. It's called the we call it the psoas, but in animals we call it the tenderloin. Oh. And it's very delicious and soft. <laughs> but anyway, um here's your science lesson for today. Um there's two types of muscle fibers and most muscles contain a mixture of the two types of muscle fibers, but some muscles are very much skewed towards one type or the other. Type one, uh, we'll just call it, I think they're actually called type one and type two, but one of the types has a lot of mitochondria and mitochondria are in the muscle to oxidize fat because that is a slow burning, you know, basically long-term fuel for endurance types of exercise. The other type of muscle is the white. So the type of muscle fiber that has a lot of mitochondria appears dark. So that's the dark meat. Dark meat is like endurance muscles, mm. like would be in our legs because we're have to we're having to walk and run. Now the white meat is muscle fibers that don't have a lot of my, mitochondria. They are doing a type of metabolism called anaerobic glycolysis where they're burning carbs. <laughs> they are burning carbs because they need fast and easy fuel. So like the expense of burning fat is that it takes a little longer to crack open that fat, but it provides a more sustained longer burn. Well, if you need to just activate those muscles really quick, but they're going to burn out quick as well, then it would be um, a type of muscle fiber that doesn't need those mitochondria. And that's the white meat. So the white meat is like fast twitch muscles that are for uh, fast 
sudden movements like a bird flapping its wings and flying away, lifting off the ground really suddenly. Um, so that's why the breast of birds tends to be uh, white meat. Um, and the legs of birds tend to be dark meat. And other, you know, the back, I think there's parts of the back that are dark meat as well. Anyway, the point is humans have it too. Here's the Cliff's Notes version. Humans have it too. Dark meat has lots of mitochondria. White meat has little, little mitochondria. And dark meat gross. is delicious and white meat is gross. <laughs> now, MK and I agree on this. We both like the dark meat. And they, they say actually that people who naturally like the dark meat are better adapted for a higher protein, higher fat type of diet. Uh, people who naturally prefer the less fatty, white meat are better adapted for a higher carb, lower fat diet. So take that as you will. MK and I are both meat eating low carb girls here or envies. Uh, <laughs> and Gotta we fight over that dark meat. Yeah, we fight over the dark hands meat. Hands off the dark so meat. We tend not to eat fowl <laughs> together, but there's someone out there that is MK's perfect chicken partner because they naturally like the white meat. Right. And some people can be like a swing chicken partner because they like both the, the dark meat and the white meat. So, you know, those people are kind of like the bisexuals yeah, of the chicken world <laughs> yeah, or the switches of the chicken world. But MK and I both have a clear preference for the dark meat. So, I mean, I'll eat white meat. I just have to completely disguise it's it. It's my in last sauce choice. And like make it obscure that it's white meat at all. It, it, if, it's cov- <laughs> if it's covered in the skin, that tends to make it more bearable. Yeah. But there's only so much I can like stuff down my throat, you know, before I'm like, oh, this is so dry and disgusting. Yeah. Uh, boneless, skinless chicken breasts? No way. Get I call away it from flavorless, me. tasteless chicken breasts. Get them away. Give me the fat. Yes. Well, this person got roughy duck fat, so That's <laughs> maybe good. they're making potato lockies for Hanukkah. That would be great. Mm-hmm. I love lockies mm-hmm. with du- duck schmaltz. It's so delicious. Ooh, I've never had that. <laughs> well, there's a first time for everything. <laughs> <laughs> Fisher Price Imaginex DC Super Friends Bat Cave. Somebody Ooh, got a bat cave. Bat cave. Ooh. Uh, let's see. Kindle Paperwhite e-reader, black cinch, six inch high resolution. Ooh, that's nice. nice. Do you have a, do you have an e-reader? Okay. I do not. I just I use the either. Kindle app on my phone. Yeah. I've, I've wanted to get one maybe for years, but I've always found I do a lot of reading on my laptop and my phone. And I mean, I'm good with that. I don't want a whole lot of devices anyway. And you know, I might get one down the line. They've gotten a lot more affordable and stuff. And they are a little bit, you know, in that nice sweet spot of being bigger than a phone, but smaller than a laptop. Yes. So I've, I've considered getting one, but I just still. They don't hurt undecided. your eyes as much either. Like the the, the screen strain is, is a lot less because they're not uh, like beaming light into your eyes. Yeah. That's a yeah. plus, definitely. That makes but sense. like when I'm working on an audiobook, when I'm narrating, I just read it off the computer screen that the same of the same computer that I'm recording into. And I've got a ergonomic setup. I've got a standing desk, which you can also yeah. get through sex and stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Um, if you want a sweet setup. Yeah. I, I love my voiceover studio. You've, you've been in the studio, MK, mm-hmm. done some podcasts from there. Um, if, uh, let's see, if you want to see all the equipment that I use in my studio, you can go to smvoice.info slash studio and, um, it'll show you everything and it has the links so you can get it through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. 
Uh, let's see what else. Thermal Take Level 10 Super Gaming Modular Full Tower. Ooh, oh my gosh. That's, that sounds like a breeze. Uh, that's another thing. I, like, I'm trying to open these links and see what this stuff is all about, but Amazon keeps giving me the beep boop thing. So, I mean, stuff.sexandsciencehour keeps giving me the, the beep boop <laughs> thing. So I can't see what some of these things are. There's Aww. a book called The Invasion Animorphs Number 1. Oh, my. Oh, I remember like the Animorphs. What's Animorphs? Tell me about that. I'm pretty sure it's this it's like like a book series where it's basically i think it's like a person or an animal that morphs into something else it's not it's not a way i don't think it's always a a person i think it's like an animal that morphs into an alien or a robot or like another form of i like that thing i definitely like that uh, blue and green, great big outdoors, inflatable play place. Oh my oh. gosh, that's cool. Um, what else? Hillmore Compact Swage Toolkit. Oh, nice. Big Girls My Little Pony Rainbow Dash Hoodie. That's cute. Ooh, oh that my gosh, I bet it has like ears and a horn and things like that. Oh, I hope so. I love those. I've seen those My Little Pony hoodies before. They're super cute. Yeah. Um, Brita Standard Replacement Filters for Pitchers and Dispensers. That's oh, a useful yeah. thing to have. Um, by the way, Brita Filters, I've done lots of research on this, so I know. Alex Jones, are you listening? I've done my research. Brita Filters filter out chlorine, but they do not filter out fluoride. So yeah, if you're one right. of those people who doesn't want fluoride in your water, pretty much every city fluoridates their water. Um, you have to get a special Alex Jones filter. Well, it's not really made by Alex Jones. It's made by a company called Berkey, and they sell fluoride filtering devices. And yep. I, I regularly use one of those and... You don't uh, want your frogs I turning am, gay. I am not a sheep, yes. No, the chlorine, <laughs> the fluoride doesn't turn the frogs gay. Sorry, It turns you into a sheep. Come on, I'm gay. Oh, yeah, that's the estrogen from the birth control pills, from those degenerate harlots who are peeing into the water. But Berkey filters can filter that shit out, too, so there you go. <laughs> um, creativity for kids, grow and glow terrarium. Ooh, that's cool. I want a terrarium. You know what I want? I read an article about this guy who made this globe, like he blew this glass globe and put like a bunch of moss in the bottom and like some water and maybe like a fish or something, or I don't know if it was a fish, but he puts like basically plants and water and air in it and he sealed it. And it's basically been this self-contained ecosystem that's been going for like 40 fucking years. Wow. Isn't that cool? Like, I really want one of those. (laughs) They make, yeah, they make little globes. I've I've seen these before. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, where they have little self-contained ecosystems and the little animals in there live for years and Mm -hmm. for a really long time. So Yes, I like that. But that would be like the ultimate trap. Like you're trapped in that globe forever, fishy friend. Fish yeah, friend. yeah. Well, <laughs> you know. National tree, seven foot Dunhill fir tree. I'm guessing that's Ooh. a Christmas tree. A Christmas tree. I was about to say it's Christmas. Time. Yes. Now where does that come from? Why do you say Crimbus? I forgot why I say Crimbus. <laughs> What, you were looking at me from? for a minute. I'm like, oh my god, is she looking at me because I should know this, or is she looking at me because she doesn't know? <laughs> I straight up, I've been saying it for so long. Where does Krimbus come from? 
It comes from Where you does, now. It comes from you. It comes from no, just it own it. From own me. it. It doesn't own come the from crimis. me. But I, it, no, it comes from something. And I'm just like having a complete brain fart right now. Okay. One of your listeners is going to be like, duh. This is where Crimbus comes from. They're going to mansplain Crimbus to you. Mansplain Crimbus to Get ready to have Crimbus mansplain to you. Good. Educate me. I I don't remember where it came from. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. We also have a a tablet sleeve from Eve Case. That sounds good. We had no no cry cut resistant gloves. I guess those might be for cutting up like vegetables or something. Oh, yeah. If they could onions, make it so that you don't cry when you cut onions, yeah, good. That would be really helpful. You know, it's weird. I didn't start having that symptom of cutting onions until very recently in my life. Really? I oh never my gosh. cried while cutting onions. And then over the last couple of years, now it happens. And now I understand how, oh, gosh, man. it is so frustrating. It is the worst thing ever. Like, I can't see anything. Yeah. It's it's so hard. But, like, I never knew. I don't know. I don't know what changed chemically in my And you've, like, worked in the restaurant industry. Yeah. So you've been around a lot of onions. You probably chopped your share of onions. Onions are, like, my favorite thing ever. I've chopped so many onions. (laughs) Well, that's very weird. I don't know. It's a, yeah, I don't know what caused it. Getting old. Getting old. Getting old. Losing my defenses (laughs) to onions. (laughs) And other vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those vegetables. Now, you know, there actually are some people who say that um, there's this whole theory behind the carnivore diet. We talked about it on the show once where um, animals have like fangs and teeth and claws and like, and they can run away. And they, so they have defenses that don't require them to be poisonous, mm-hmm. but plants can't run away and only some of them have spines or thorns like cacti. So they basically have to develop chemical weapons and be poisonous to make things not eat them. Mm-hmm. And not all of those chemical weapons are good for humans. Mm-hmm. So are vegetables really as healthy as people claim? Um, that might be something to question. And we'll better stick to an all meat diet just in case. Yeah, just in case. Exactly. <laughs> I, the talk, there's a great talk, and I think it's actually on YouTube now by Georgia E, Georgia Ede, I want to say, or Eads. Um, she's an MD at Harvard, and she gave this talk where she reviewed, she tried to find in the medical literature, are there any studies that actually show eating more vegetables makes you live longer? And there were some studies on like, vegetarians and vegans, but they were a lot of them were confounded because like some of them didn't show that they lived any longer. And other ones were confounded because religious people tend not to drink alcohol and not to smoke cigarettes and have other lifestyle factors that go along with being vegetarian or vegan. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's the jury is basically still out as far as that goes. Um, All right, well, somebody got a, a Momo and we're about to see what that is. Momo, it's like a little bat. Oh my gosh, that is so oh freaking cute. Goodness. Oh, that's adorable. I hope they got that for me as a present because I love <laughs> bats. <laughs> oh, I figured out how to how to view items. Okay, so I see. I I was clicking the wrong things, and I wasn't. I was just like guessing. Okay, so somebody got another plushie. This is a kidney, 
It is a oh it is my. a purple kidney. It's shaped like a kidney and it has little red blood vessels and the renal artery and renal veins are emerging from it as they would from an anatomically correct kidney. And that Aww. is so freaking cute. Ah, cute little kidney. It is a cute kidney. Now let's see. There may be another page of things that people got. Oh yeah, there's ton oh my god, there's like Wow, there people did a lot of shopping. Well, it's Thank you so Krimbus much. Time. It is almost Crimbus. Thank you so much for doing your Crimbus shopping through stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. Um, okay, so we got lots of other items here. Elegant USB powered soundbar speakers for computer. Oh, yeah. Albanese six flavor chocolate covered gummy bears. Doesn't that sound good when you're about to get your period? Oh, my God. No. MK's making a horrified face. She does not like the gum- chocolate-covered gummy bears. I like bears. gummy bears, and I like chocolate, them combined. I, I guess with the right kind of chocolate, it would be okay, but I don't know. that I'm having a hard time. You know what I really like that. is the Haribo sugar-free gummy bears. You like those? <laughs> <laughs> no, I just like the I like Amazon the reviews. reviews. Yeah. <laughs> That's one of those like review pages where people write the most hilarious reviews. Like so funny. literally the like on on some of the saddest days of my life when I got like the worst news ever, I would look up the, the those reviews and I would just like start crying laughing because they are so fucking funny. They I think just I make have you those laugh. bookmarked. So yeah. I'll go back and look at them. <laughs> so great. Oh my gosh. So the what capo? What is this? It looks kind of like a speculum. You th- you say it looks like a cabo. No capo. Ca- oh capo. Yes, it is a yeah, capo. That's oh, a capo. okay. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, where is my mind at? Right. Um, <laughs> it's the Donner DC two one handed trigger guitar capo. Nice. What is it? What is a capo? MK is somebody who plays guitar. So a capo is something you can use to put on the fretboard of your guitar to change the key that you want to play in. Awesome. And so you can, and uh, yeah, depending on, I'm looking at my little guitar over there, I have a little capo. It's great for, yeah, changing the tones that you want to make and, you know, yeah. It's a, nice. it's a good, anyone who's playing guitar should have a capo because you can do all sorts of stuff with it. And uh, yeah, it's a good handy tool to have. Yes. And it's also doubles as a speculum. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Don't try would, your own DIY gynecology Jesus Christ, at home. That would be like the, <laughs> yeah. the weirdest speculum ever. <laughs> I don't think it opens in that way. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. And don't try this at home, folks. <laughs> Somebody got a one-year insurance plan for protection for the Kindle Paperwhite that they probably bought on Good the previous idea. page. Yes, 3D craft kit, Fantasy One. Um, what is in this craft kit? Oh, will it ever load? Um. Okay, well, it appears to, I can't see anything except the cover image, so that was a big fat letdown, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, We've teased it now. So I'll just imagine there's like yarn and buttons in there. Did you ever have like those craft kits when you were a kid that you could make like, I mean, you could make pretty much anything, but it was like a bunch of pipe cleaners, a bunch of buttons, a bunch of construction paper, glue, of course, glue sticks. No, I totally had one and I made the weirdest art. 
Nice. Yes, I would like one now. I tried to learn like knitting and crocheting at one point. Ooh. Um, I, had, I did not oh have the gosh. patience for it. <laughs> Girl, did you ever have a knitting mushroom? Because I did. No, I never. Oh I never my had a knitting God. mushroom. Okay, so I got it for Crimbus from my grandma. And a knitting mushroom is, it, it's just what it sounds like. It's a mushroom that you can hold by the stem in your hand. And the top is usually painted like a mushroom. Mine was red with white, white spots. And it has four little um like it kind of like picture like a like a staple that's like stuck into the top of the mushroom and a hole in the middle so what you do is you put yarn you like weave the yarn around these four things and then basically you continue you basically use them to knit mm. and you put loops of yarn over the next until a trick like a round worm emerges from the bottom of the mushroom and you can use that to make it into like a circular rug or like i don't know anything you want wow. i guess but yeah that's the knitting mushroom that's a magical mushroom it is a magical mushroom <laughs> not the magical mushrooms i'm used to but <laughs> magical not as magical as some mushrooms but <laughs> still pretty magical uh pop sockets expanding stand and grip for smartphones Ooh, i need that because i need to make i need something that holds my phone like right in front of my face when i'm reading in bed oh, on my yeah. phone definitely i need that Vic Sing 300 milliliter cool mist humidifier mm, and aroma essential oil thing. Mm. That is useful. Um, it's getting dry in a lot of parts of the country now. It's winter. So a good humidifier will definitely help. I have one in my voiceover suite. So um, I put it on when I'm not recording because it does make a little bit of noise. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've recorded with it on and like just removed the noise in the past, but it's really good because you want that balance of humidity. A lot of people don't realize how dry it gets in the winter. And I mean, if you don't believe me, take a humistat, like get one of those things that people put in their cigar box to make sure the cigars are at the right humidity and see what percentage of humidity is in the air in your room. And you might be shocked how low it gets sometimes, especially in the winter. Um, okay. Echo Dot, second generation Amazon Echo. Uh-oh. It's going to listen to everything you say. <laughs> to tomorrow, Sunny, new Avatar, the last airbender cartoon. Oh, nice. Yeah, I like cartoons. Compact bender kit with reverse bending something. Um, unless you're bending gender, get out of here. No, I'm just oh, kidding. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I bet this is some kind of power tool, but I can't be bothered to look it up. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, all new. <laughs> all new. Uh, Kindle Fire 7 Kids Edition tablet. Ooh, that's cool. They have a kids edition. Start them early. Yeah. Krupp's Adjustable Temperature Belgian Waffle Maker. Ooh. Oh, heck yeah. I want some Belgian waffles. You know what's also really good, Belgian style, is French fries. Mm. That's like baked in the oven and then fried in something. Duck schmaltz. Oh, duck schmaltz. Oh, I'm I love salivating. Waffles. I'm getting so hungry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Belgian waffles. Yeah, what's what's with the Belgian waffle? They're like thinner, right? They're like thinner. thicker. I thought thicker. I thought they were thicker. They're okay, real fluffy and maybe I'm deep getting my pockets. waffles confused. Okay, Super deep pockets. Deep pockets. Yes. Okay, that's the way to go. Syrup to, traps. Yeah, you have to hold that syrup. And and then it like really ends up soaking in anyway. Oh fuck! Now I want a waffle. Oh my god! I have low carb waffles and like sugar free maple syrup. Ooh, mm -mm -mm. that sounds good. I know what yeah, I'm. Yeah, the Belgian for waffles are the real thick, fluffy ones with the deep pockets, and they're just. Oh, 
Okay, so cool, fine. cool. That sounds really good. I've never had gluten-free Belgian waffles. Though. Oh, that would be hard girl, there's a first time for everything. Yeah, there is. They have really good gluten-free mixes now. Like, mm-hmm. um, there's there's one um, called No Better Foods that has like a pretty good mix. I actually haven't tried their waffles, but I've seen them and I mean, I mean to try them. There's another one, and now I can't remember the brand of it, but I don't know. You can search for them, and if gluten-free you, stuff has gotten so much better in the last has. few years. Oh yeah. Totally. Totally. Um, and I mean, some of it is even low carb too. Mm-hmm. Uh, not all of it. Some of it's totally carby, but some of it. Okay. A Tyrannosaurus Rex cutting board. Oh, how my cute is that? It's got I a little T Rex on the cutting board. I want one of these. That's adorable. I'm putting that on my Crimbus wish list. <laughs> <laughs> Corsair CX series. Uh, bronze certified. No- oh fuck! I'm sorry, I clicked the wrong link. I don't even know what this is because the link is so long. All right, I'm gonna try one more time to click this and see if we can figure it out. All right, bronze. Well, fuck! I don't even know what this is. <laughs> Some Corsair thing. What do you think that is, MK? It looks like a literal, just a black box. And here's the description of it. Corsair CX series, 650 watt, 80 plus bronze certified, and that's where it cuts off. It's probably like a power supply for a computer, Hmm, I'm going to guess. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, thank you for being on our after show. Trivial Pursuit game, classic edition. That's Uh, fun. You know, I can never answer the questions right in Trivial Pursuit because I feel like, well, I don't know. I I think I just have been playing like old versions of Trivial Pursuit that have been in people's houses since the 1980s. And so the questions are like from the 50s. So <laughs> right. no wonder I don't know any of the answers. Philips Norelco Nose Hair Trimmer 3000, the NT3000 Ooh. Nose Trimmer. Heck yeah, gotta If you have a hairy nose, those noses. Yeah, just make sure you take your nose jewelry out if you have any before mm-hmm. you put a rotor rooter in there. Uh, Asus Prime X370 Pro AMD DDR4. So this is a processor. Ooh, very nice. Wonder Woman Blu-ray DVD. Heck yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Did you see the Wonder Woman movie? Oh, yeah, you did. You reviewed it on your podcast. I forgot about that. All right. And the last thing is Vic Singh set of six aromatherapy essential oils, 100% pure. Let's look at what it looks like. Essential. I mean, I wish Amazon had smell. I mean, I wish I wish stuff.sexandsciencehour.com had smell-o-vision so we can right. smell them. But this is basically a set of six essential oils. And what flavors are they? I have to know. Okay. Orange, lavender, tea tree, lemongrass, eucalyptus, and peppermint. Ooh, those are like all the best ones. Those are real good ones. Oh, I love orange essential oils. Me so too. good. Yeah, orange. So orange is supposed to be energizing. Mm-hmm. They often put it in like shower stuff for the morning, like citrus is energizing. Lavender yeah. is calming and relaxing, mm-hmm. helps you go to sleep. Tea tree, I don't know about tea tree, but it seems kind of similar to eucalyptus and peppermint. Mm-hmm. Those it seems like it would be more of an energizing kind of. Yep, yeah. All those uh, eucalyptus, peppermint, and tea tree, I think, are energizing and clearing out blockages. Like, I have some peppermint essential oil that I sniff when I have a stuffed up nose. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that would be good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and lemongrass. What does lemongrass do? I think that's probably more calming as well. I think that's calming. Yeah, I really like the smell of lemongrass. I yeah. love a good lemongrass soup. Mm. Oh yeah, mm. lemongrass soup. It's kind of a unique flavor. It like, is. There's nothing it's very really much like its it. own flavor. Yeah, that's why. Like you know, 
when you're making like certain recipes, especially like Thai food or something like that, there's certain ingredients that you just can't substitute. Like mm-hmm. it just doesn't taste the same if you don't have it. But maybe you could put some lemongrass essential oil in in your recipe. Uh, and probably you know, not. maybe not. Uh, okay, it's not for, not <laughs> forget for it. That's a bad eating. idea. <laughs> <laughs> you, you want the seasoning for that? <laughs> yes, you do. All right. Well, this has been such a fun show, MK. Thank you so much for being on the show. One more time, where can folks find you if they want to hear more of your podcast or if they want to even like support you on Patreon and become a follower of your journey because you are on yes. an extended road trip right now, aren't you? I am. I am a digital nomad. Yeah. I'm on tour. I am taking the podcast across the country and interviewing people. And I'm also doing a lot of writing stuff. So I have everything concentrated on Patreon right now. So if you go to patreon.com slash mklords, you'll be able to find all of my stuff there. I have podcasts, I have writings, I'm going to be releasing audio versions of some of the writings that I've done. And I'm going to be doing some really cool interviews with people across the country. And I already have a few that are out, you can listen to them. It's, uh, it's different every time. So that's all I'll say. It's a weird podcast. Anything goes. And it's a whole lot of fun. Well, the weirder stuff gets here on Sex and Science Hour, the more we like it. Yes. As long as it's not like flat earth weird. (laughs) (laughs) Call back to the beginning of the show. Rocket man. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been a great time. I've had a blast. Oh, my God. Yes. This is really fun. And I'm pretty sure that we'll be doing a podcast swap and I'll be appearing on your show. Yes. Stay tuned for that. Follow MK on Patreon and follow us on sexandsciencehour.com. Don't forget to join the Sex and Science Hour podcast community Facebook group if you want to meet some other cool Sex and Science Hour listeners because it's chock full of cool people. Yes. And uh, we'll be back at you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you later. Oh, and thanks for doing your crimba shopping on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. <laughs> and thanks for being on our after show. All right.